This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Last week, we talked all about growing mushrooms, but that was all based on research and had nothing to do with my own personal experiences. Even though my husband has always wanted to create a fungus of the month club to go along with our CSA program, we've never quite gotten there. I've worked with multiple mushroom growers over the years as vendors at our local farmers markets and have yet to even grow mushrooms from a kit. I just support them at their stands when I get a craving for a cremini. So I thought it would be super helpful to hear from not one, but two different mushroom growers about how they got started growing and where they've gone from there. And technically, it's three growers because one brought along their production manager, and they were all a wealth of information. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. We're going to start off with Sarah Kern, a mom of three and a former 911 operator who found herself suffering from PTSD that forced her early retirement. She initially started growing mushrooms for their mental health benefits and found that she just loved the challenge of growing them. Sarah is in the process of starting her own mushroom growing business, Amador Mushrooms, and hopes to be selling at farmers markets by this summer. Sarah was an absolute fountain of information all about growing mushrooms from spore to harvest, and I have no doubt you will get a ton of information and inspiration from her interview. Let's talk with Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for agreeing to come on this episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I am super excited to talk mushrooms with you. No problem. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I can talk mushrooms all day. Oh, fantastic. Oh, good. (laughs) This makes my job easy. (laughs) So you're a a former uh, 911 dispatcher. You were a dispatcher for years and years. You're um, a a wife. You're a mom. What made you decide that you wanted to start growing mushrooms at home? So it started kind of um, just by chance. I don't actually eat mushrooms, gourmet mushrooms, but I was looking for uh, mental health relief. I was going, when I came out of the police department, I was a 911 dispatcher for 20 years, like you said, and I medically retired out with PTSD. I was actually the first dispatcher um, with my agency, which is a major metropolitan agency in California. Um, I was the first dispatcher to be recognized as, yeah, the job did cause PTSD and we're going to medically retire you. So I did retire out with a full industrial medical retirement, but um, I was still dealing with severe PTSD symptoms. And I had a friend, um, or I had discovered cannabis, um, which was really, really helping with um, the PTSD and the anxiety and just being able to even enjoy anything. And um, I had never used that until I was in my 40s and started using that and found relief. And then a friend had told me about microdosing psilocybin. And me, having been in law enforcement, I was too scared to reach out to anybody to find out where you get this. So I, my ADHD brain immediately started researching growing mushrooms. And before I knew it, I had a whole setup to grow mushrooms. So I did grow some psilocybin to try, did the microdosing, wasn't a fan, um, started looking into lion's mane for uh, brain health um, because PTSD is actually a physical injury of the brain. And lion's mane is known as a regenerative mushroom. So I started looking into growing lion's mane myself and just kind of went from there. And in the process of the whole thing, I just fell in love 
It's very um, intricate. It's very, very meticulous. It's not something that everybody can do. The, the conditions have to be perfect. Everything has to be clean. I mean, we'll go into all that, I'm sure, in the conversation, but I just, you have to be pretty OCD to do it. And so I found that just to be fun. It's kind of like being a lab tech or, you know, like working in a lab, you get to be the mad scientist and you can take, you know, you pick mushrooms up off the ground and, and clone them. And that was just cool. Like all of that stuff's just cool to me. So. And I imagine that just the, just the process of it too, can be very therapeutic. I mean, gardening in general is recognized as something, I mean, there is gardening therapy literally because of the, not just the benefits of the repetitive motions or, you know, the caring of something, but also touching the soil, touching the microbiota, touching, you know, the spores and stuff of, of even mushrooms is, has been known to show um, positive effects in somebody's health, both physically and mentally. So I can only imagine that had something to do with it. Yeah, for sure. And I actually found the whole process of growing the mushrooms more therapeutic than the mushrooms themselves. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, I just, I like it. It's like I said, it's very intricate and watching them grow mushrooms go very fast. So somebody like me with ADHD, once you open a bag to, to grow them, you know, two or three days later, there you got mushrooms. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. So you said that you sort of, your brain went down this, this rabbit hole of, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And all of a sudden you had the setup and you were ready to go. What did that setup look like? And how did you start? Did you start from a kit? So initially when I started, I, no, I did not buy a kit and I do not recommend buying a kit online unless it's a kit of like gourmet mushrooms. They will sell kits where you just open a box and cut open the bag that the um the mushroom is in and that's usually grain and mycelium that's been mixed and then it it's ready to go so you cut it open and when the air hits it then it starts growing mushrooms those kits are okay what i don't recommend is if somebody was going to look for any type of psilocybin mushroom kits um because there's a lot of them out there that there's a lot more in them than is actually needed but no, when I started, I just, I had, I used a still air box. So I got a, like a 64 gallon clear tub and I cut, I used a coffee can and I heated up the edge of it and I put, I melted it through. So I had two places for my hands to go in because it was flipped upside down and that left two openings for my hands to go in. And I would work in a room that had no air and I would do all of my mushroom propagating in the still air box because the, the the process of mushrooms has to be very sterile. Right. Yeah. So I bought, I got a still air box or I made a still air box. I bought some spores and I, um, initially I bought spore syringes, which are good in theory. However, they are often contaminated when you buy them. So, um, I found that out later and then I, bought uh actual no I got some actual spores a spore print where you make a print and then um, I made agar so agar agar which is just the same thing that the labs use for petri dishes um I made it with malt yeast extract the same stuff you use for beer so I made agar with that and then I put the spores on the agar and I grew them out that way, which has been 150 times better than a spore syringe. Wow. You you really did go all out laboratory tech. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So what happens with those syringes if there is contamination? Does the mushroom just not grow or can it actually be detrimental to somebody? So it well, it's not necessarily de detrimental, I would say, but you will not, your, your mushrooms have to compete with mold. Um, they're in the same environment, same temperature. They both get very prolific in a tropical climate. So that's what you reproduce for the mushrooms. Unfortunately, they're going to compete. You're either going to get mushrooms or you're going to get mold, but you're not going to get both typically. And you don't want to eat moldy mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So everything has to be very, very, very sterile from day from the beginning because they grow fast mold grows fast and one's going to be out the other that's why we use the still air box which is a good starting tool when you are transferring 
spores. So you can take the spores from a spore print. You can take an actual mushroom and cut out the middle of it and put it in agar and it will grow, the mycelium will grow out. So you can do it that way. So you moved from the, and tell me the word again of the other mushroom. Oh, psilocybin. Psilocybin. Okay. So you moved from that to, because you didn't like the effects of it, to lion's mane, which yes, is grown for its medicinal purposes. It's also grown as sort of a a, a gourmet, you know, type of a mushroom right. or or whatever. So if you weren't somebody who ate mushrooms, did you sort of force yourself at that point? Like, okay, these are good for me. I'm going to eat these. Or did you turn <laughs> them into a tea? Like, what were you doing? Um, you can dehydrate them and, and you can grind them and put them into pill form, which was what I did. Um, in both instances, I just made pills. And then I ended up taking a hiatus from mushrooms because I had a death in the family and the house that we were going to set the mushroom farm up in ended up becoming a rental. And But when I get back into it, I'll probably just do the pill forms because I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a huge mushroom flavor fan. What would you say is the most challenging part? Is it the is it the sterility? Is it the getting them started? What's the what's the hardest part? The hardest part is absolutely the working environment and keeping it clean. Um, most people that do mushrooms on any kind of large scale have a full laboratory set up, white walls, bleach, stainless steel, everything. Like that's imperative. Um, everything that you use all has to be, uh, we use 70% alcohol because the nine, anything above 70% um, will actually evaporate too quick and it won't kill the germs. So we clean, I clean everything with 70% alcohol. And I also use a flame, like a propane torch to flame sterilize any like metal. If I'm using a exacto knife to cut out the mycelium when it grows out on agar i'll flame sterilize that so get it yellow and then let it cool and then now i don't have a still air box anymore now i use a a flow hood which is a big filter i'll run in the room it's like a merv 16 or better um pepa filter so i found out this this is a fun fact found out because i worked for h i work for an hvac unit or hvac company now that our lungs filter things out at a MERV-8, which is the grading on a on a filter, and a MERV-16 is considered hospital grade. So the, we use higher than a MERV-16, and I'm not positive what it is, but we use higher than that. It blows a, air out, so you work in front of it, and it's blowing a clean flow of air out. So now take me through your process then with the lion's mane. Where do you start? What do you start with as far as a medium? Where are you getting the spores from? And and walk me through what you are actually doing to get from nothing <laughs> to mushroom. Okay, so if I were to order, if I, so say I decide that I want to grow out lion's mane, I would look online and I would order... Probably I would personally order a nice grow kit from somebody already or order some grain spawn. So you can order grain spawn and this is grain that have the spawn already growing on it and it comes to you clean. And then you can put that to your substrate and grow them out. And that's a very easy shortcut, but it can get expensive if you're doing it in mass quantity. So if you want to go back further to step one, I can have a sample or of lion's mane sent to me on agar or I can have um, mycelium sent to me, which would be on agar, or I could buy lion's mane at the store and take a small piece of it and put it on agar and clone it. So that would be my first step is to get um, a petri dish with the lion's mane to grow out, which would grow out as mycelium. Once that's grown out, you have a clean sample I say clean because you may have to transfer it several times onto new Petri dishes if you find that the sample becomes contaminated at some point. Do you tell if it's if it's contaminated? Well, as the mycelium is growing out, if it's contaminated, whatever is contaminated will also will also grow out and you'll be able to see the difference. True lab experiment. So if you have a contaminated sample, say that's your only sample of lion's mane or it was this beautiful lion's mane but you put it on your Petri dish and it's growing out and you look over and you've got a big old spot of mold growing with it. I would open my Petri dish and get like two more or three more plates. And I would take part of the clean area and transfer them over. 
And you just keep doing that until you have a really nice uniform grow out of mycelium. So once you have a nice grow out of mycelium on your agar plate, your next step is to um, hydrate grain. I use wheat grain just because it's I can buy it very easily bulk in my grocery store. And there's recipes for it online. I hydrate mine. <clears throat> and I apologize. I don't know the exact time. I'd have to look it up. But I get the grain. I put it in water and I hydrate it for um, however long. I usually, by look, I can tell because it looks like, like wheat berries will get fat. about They'll double their size or so. And then they have a little white eyeball inside of them. And when you can see that eyeball really good, that's what I call it, the eyeball. Um then I know that they're done because they've become a little translucent, but that white eyeball inside looks very clear and prominent. Then I know that they're done. I have to lay them out. I usually lay them on a screen of some type and let them air dry. So you want the outside to be dry, but you want them also to be hydrated. You, When you touch them, you can rub your hands through them and everything, and you don't want them to stick together. And then after that, you put them into jars, or I put them into jars. You can also put them into bags. Mushroom bags, you have to be able to uh, pressure cook them. So you need very specific bags. Uh, unicorn bags are the ones that I use. So I buy those. You put your grain, your hydrated grain into the bags, and then you fold them over and put them in a pressure cooker. And you have to pressure cook them at 15 PSI for an hour. And then once they're out, you let them cool down. And then um, once they're cooled down, you go back in front of blow hood or in your still air box. And you take your agar plate and open it with your mycelium growing in it. I usually, I personally use a whole plate, one plate per bag. Um, but you can use as much as literally a couple of pieces, little tiny specks of uh, mycelium that's grown out on your agar and put it into your bag. And then you seal it. We have an actual hot sealer um, that will seal the bag. And then you put them up on the shelf and let them colonize. So the mycelium will eat the grain. It will start to eat the grain and the whole bag will turn white. Once it's white, completely white, it's considered colonized. So right now, at that point, you have grain spawn, which you can order grain spawn online, like I said, and take the shortcut. Um, but that, at that point, you now have grain spawn. So the next step after you have grain spawn is to have, you need to make substrate for the mushrooms to actually feed on and grow, which uh, I a lot of the mushrooms that I do are wood loving. So I buy fuel pellets for pellet stoves that are made out of hardwood fuel or whatever, whatever you're going to use. A, a good combination master's mix is wood pellets and soybean holes. However, it's very hard to get soybean holes in California. So a lot of people out here use wheat germ. But you can, there's tons and tons of recipes online for master's mix and mushroom substrates. Um, it just, it, and it depends on the mushroom. And there's also a tons of ways to grow out your mushrooms once you have grown. Some people use straw, some people use logs. People that grow, say, like shiitakes outdoors in the cold, they'll actually get plugs, which are little wood plugs like you use, like people use when they make furniture. The wood plugs that they use to hold up shelves and stuff, they will soak those and then put grain spawn and eventually those will get covered with mycelium and they'll plug those into logs, which will grow shiitakes outdoors. It's huge. There's so much you can do. Some people will take grain spawn and just put it in a bed outside, like for wine caps, and they just grow. Wow. That's how people get morels. Morels do not grow in... A facility. Every morel that you get is going to be grown naturally outdoors. And so the only real way to grow them in any kind of bulk or agricultural way is to um, start with grain spawn just and put it out where the environment is perfect. Yeah. Here in Missouri, morels, I mean, like morel season is a big deal. Like everybody goes hunting for morels. That's the thing. And you have to be, you can't sell them if they are wild foraged, unless you have been certified to be able to tell the difference between a morel and a false morel, which oh, yeah, can apparently make that. people sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was, there used to be years ago, I think they've closed now, but there was a huge um, morel farm 
that was just south of us. And I mean, you could see coming up the highway, there was a giant morel mushroom statue. And it was like, you know, morels.com or something like that. And uh, and it was years before I realized that the way that they were producing their morels was literally out in fields. They were just, mm -hmm. they were cultivating it. And I didn't realize it wasn't something that they were doing like inside a building or something like that. So is the reason for the pressure cooker, are you sterilizing it at that point? Is that why you're putting it in the pressure cooker? Yes, the grain, you have to sterilize the grain so that when you put the clean agar plate with mycelium on it into the sterilized grain, it has the ability to grow without having to compete with contamination. So once you have all of that, you know, that beautiful white stuff filling the bag and now you've got your your medium that you're your substrate that you're going to use mm -hmm. at that point is it just open up the bag give it to the substrate and just let it go no so we actually are um, we have to pasteurize the substrate um, i use a sterilization barrel that i made but once you have your grain spawn sorry you have your medium and you need to pasteurize it you put that into bags uh, usually five pound block bags. And then you would fill this tank that I made up with the bags and they have to pasteurize for about 24 hours under the hot water steam process. They don't have to be sterile. They just have to be pasteurized. So that kills whatever needs to be killed. I don't know what the actual like rate of contamination is at that point. I just know that prior to that point, when you have the grain spawn, it has to be zero. Like you cannot have any contamination. So then it, once that, once you have your pasteurized bags and your grain spawn, then the two can meet. And we do this again in front of the flow hood or in your sterile box and take a little bit of the grain spawn. Um, you only need a handful or two. You don't use your hands, by the way, because you, again, want to keep it very, very sterile. If you use a cup or anything at this point to move your grain spawn to the pasteurized bag of substrate, then you would want whatever you're using again to be sterile uh but yeah just about a cup of grain spawn into your five pound bag of substrate seal it up with your heat sealer go put it on a shelf for about two to three weeks and watch it turn white the mycelium will take over the substrate and eventually it will turn it completely white that is what i think i have seen so these these kind of kits that people will buy they're getting that. I don't even think yeah. they're getting the pre like, so it's like this, this block is being sent to them. And literally all they have to do is like open it up and expose it to air and wait for that mushroom to do its thing. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot more that goes into it prior to getting to that final step, I think, than most people realize. There really is. I had no idea. I didn't even know how mushrooms were grown, but like I, when I found out the process was actually long and intricate, I just, I thought I've got to figure this out. This is so amazing. And I just started doing it until I had these beautiful mycelium plates. When they grow out, they look like um, arms stretching out across the agar plate. So it was just, the whole thing was just visually stunning to me. And I'm like, I, I love this. I don't eat mushrooms, but I love this whole process. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, if somebody is interested in growing the mushrooms themselves and just, you know, just for, for eating purposes or gourmet purposes or whatever, mm -hmm. do you think probably the best thing is buy a kit to start with, get an idea of what it takes to do it, research what everything is that goes into it beforehand before they decide, oh, I'm going to grow mushrooms. Right. Yeah. It's, do, do your research because it is a process. But I do know people that grow them out very cheaply. I mean, you can put a little Martha tent in a bedroom and you can buy the kits online. Like you said, um, I've seen them at Walmart, but they do have distributors that do nothing but sell kits, but not the actual bag of substrate that you just cut open and, and it, and it grows, but you can buy a Martha little Martha tent for your room and just put a humidifier in it and keep the room at an ambient temperature and, and, they'll grow um, and they'll grow several times. You'll get several flushes of mushroom from each block if you keep them at the right temperature and you can grow them until you usually, until you see contamination and then you have to throw them out. So you love that you don't eat mushrooms, but you love this process <laughs> so much 
that you are in the process of starting your own gourmet mushroom business. <laughs> we touched on that just a little yeah. bit um, to be selling at farmers markets and stuff this summer. So, I, I mean, you've got to love it, I guess, if you don't eat it and and you're going to make a whole business around it. What are your favorites to grow just from the process wise? Is it the lion's mane or are there some other ones in there that are kind of your, your, your favorites that are more fun? Lion's mane are they're they're neat but the the ones that you want to sell um are you when you when you sell them you actually want them to be kind of small and and more solid they're pretty when they grow out too big and they get these teeth on them so they're kind of boring to sell for farmers markets and stuff because you actually have to pick them before they get really cool looking but i like the pink oysters and the yellow oysters they are very simple to sell they're beautiful to grow um and they sell very very quickly the problem that those pose is that they don't stay fresh as long as other oysters because they're more delicate um which poses a problem because we tend to grow farmers markets tend to be in the summer so we grow these in the summer and then we have to keep them fresh in 110 degree California heat while we're trying to sell in the farmer's market. So I don't grow a lot of the yellow and the pink oysters for that reason, but they're my favorite to grow. You know that my husband did not eat mushrooms like ever until I had a farmer's market vendor who was there selling mushrooms. And he swore up and down to me that the pink oyster mushrooms, when you saute them in butter, they taste like bacon. And as a pig farmer and a husband who is a huge bacon lover, I said, okay, bet, let's try this. And sure enough, I sauteed those suckers up and they tasted like bacon and he ate them. And now he eats mushrooms like willingly, like he'll put <laughs> mushrooms on his pizza or whatever. I have no idea how that happened. That was not my intent. I just thought it was a very novel idea that a mushroom would taste like bacon and I'll be darned if it didn't. So that's a really good way to get, you know, your customers hooked and get them coming back for more, you know, hey, these taste like bacon. <laughs> yeah. And you can throw a little liquid smoke in the pan with some um paprika very good okay all right see now i got a new new recipe to try it's <laughs> fantastic i love it uh this was a fantastic conversation i cannot thank you enough for coming on and and talking mushrooms with no me problem. thanks for having me absolutely so does the uh does the business have a name yet is there a way that people can find you if they want to learn more about mushrooms um the business is going to be named Amador Mushrooms. Uh, we are just in the starting process. Like I said, I had plans about two years ago to have a whole farm. Uh, I have a, a another home that we used to live in. And my plan was to grow in hydroponic tents inside the house and do many splits and keep each room at a different temperature. So um, unfortunately, my dad passed away and my mom being elderly, we needed to use that house to put somebody in that could help take care of her. Um, so that plan went on the wayside, but now I'm kind of back to, I've got my adult kids moving out. So I got a couple bedrooms in my house again. Um, and I think I'm going to do the hydroponic tent setup, but I'm going to do it in my home and I'm just going to do farmer's markets for now. So the business is on the horizon. It's going to be called Amador Mushrooms, but we are not, I don't have much set up yet. Keep an eye out for it. Hopefully in the next six months, we'll have a website and It'll be fun. Yeah. Website, Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is. Once you've got it, let me know. And I will, I will update the show notes that way. Everybody knows yeah, where to find you. Thank you again, Sarah. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Finding your garden tools need a little refresh this spring. Look no further than Truly Garden. With tried and true tools I use in my own garden, like their Hori Hori knife, Truly Garden has a curated selection of high quality tools designed to withstand the beating I put my stuff through in the garden. I've got my eye on one of their newest additions, a sickle style hand weeder. To check out all the options and get 10% off your first purchase, go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash truly. R-U-L-Y and use code JUSTGROW at checkout. The link is in the show notes.
Next up, we have my conversation with Robin Moore with Mycoplanet. Mycoplanet is a woman-owned and operated business that is dedicated to sustainability and education. Located in North Kansas City, the farm produces a variety of mushrooms using eco-friendly methods, using only certified organic ingredients to grow their mushrooms. Now, Robin's background is in science, and she has a curiosity for self-sustaining ecosystems, which made mushroom farming a perfect fit. She was joined in this interview by her production manager, Jake, and they both filled in the gaps of what benefits there are to eating and growing mushrooms, storage life and the best way to store mushrooms, and what to expect when you grow mushrooms from a kit. Robin and Jake, thank you so much for being here on this special episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I am super excited to have you here to talk all about mushrooms. Yeah, thanks so much yeah, for, having thanks for having us on. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about um, each of your roles at Mycoplanet and and sort of what you are each responsible for in the production um, process of these mushrooms. Okay. So um, I'm the owner of Mycoplanet, um, but I still do a fair amount of production. We're a small business still. Um, so everything from making our mushroom bags, um, inoculating, fruiting the mushrooms, the prep of our mushrooms, the harvesting. I still go out and work farmer's markets as well. Um, I do a little bit of delivery, sales. I do a little bit of everything as well as running the business and doing that whole side of it as well. And then Jake is here uh, for production and he can talk about that. Yeah, it's everything that Robin does except for the hard paperwork, so I get the the best of both worlds, I think. <laughs> so yeah, just day-to-day -day, uh, production, harvesting, prepping, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's uh, every small business owner out there is like, yes, I am the owner, which means I do everything, and then <laughs> I get somebody to help me with the other stuff. Yeah, it's uh, I know, it's, it's the thing. So, you know, if people are looking at mushrooms, like if you go to the grocery store, Right. And we see the mushrooms that are in the grocery store that are available for the for at least for the most of the time that I have been an adult. The only things that were available were these like white button mushrooms and either either whole or they were already pre-sliced and they were in the little styrofoam package. Um, and then you sort of started to see things like, you know, I guess they call them baby portabellas, which I don't think are actually portabellas. But, um, you know, at, at, other than that, there is no sort of I don't know. Uh, choices when it comes to buying mushrooms unless you are trying to find a producer that's actually like at a farmer's market or something like that why should people look for mushrooms that are other than the one or two varieties that might be available to them in the grocery store yeah so to start that off the portobello and the white button mushroom are actually the exact same mushroom they're just harvested at a different point in time so you're actually not getting any variety and i think um, why you need more varieties because health benefits each one of them kind of has their own benefit health-wise um, over the portobello and the white button mushroom and so that's why we need to incorporate um, different varieties of mushroom into our diet and you also get a lot of different flavor profiles with that um, instead of just a single flavor of the portobello or the baby bella you get a bunch of different kind of notes mm -hmm. and textures as well so um you know, culinary, you could do lots of different things with the different varieties of mushroom versus like the portobello. What are the nutritional benefits? How do they vary from, you know, variety to variety when it comes to mushrooms? Kind of all your gourmet mushrooms are going to bring certain things like high protein, fiber, um, they're low calorie, nutrient dense. Um, it's your only non-meat source of vitamin D for all mushrooms, but then you have other medicinal mushrooms like the lion's mane, that's one that we grow. Um, so it has added benefits um, for cognitive function is what it's studied for. I guess the lion's mane, um, you get a lot of um, studies out recently that are, are showing like an increase in what's called the nerve growth factor. Um, basically they put a bunch of brain cells in a little petri dish, they um, in, introduce some of these compounds that you find in the lion's mane and the cell secretes what's called the nerve, nerve growth factor, which is associated with nerve growth or neuron growth. Uh, I just read one recently that showed that a couple of the compounds in the mycelium of lion's mane were actually better at 
better at getting that nerve growth factor than epinephrine, which was the control. Wow. So you said you guys, you focus on the lion's mane mushroom? That is our only medicinal mushroom that we grow currently. Okay. So the rest of what you're growing is basically for culinary purposes. Yeah. So they just fall in your kind of gourmet mushroom category. And the lion's mane falls into both. It's also really good, really good to eat. Tasty. Yeah, so it makes a great meat sub- substitute, actually, for a lot of vegetarian, vegan people. Um, they can substitute chicken or seafood with the lion's mane. Let's talk about that mycelium for a minute, because I think that is something that is really interesting. I know that I think the largest organism on the planet is actually a mushroom. Yes, it's a fungus. So it's the mycelial network that lives underground. There was a, um, a fact, I think, that I saw on your website about growing mushrooms in the same space as the rest of our other plants. It was shown to increase the plant growth by up to 30%. Do we know why that is? Yes, we do. So mushrooms breathe oxygen and exhale CO2 like we do. So when you grow mushrooms with your plants, like a greenhouse or, you know, whatever the space is, it increases the CO2 for that plant. Brilliant. Oh, okay. So it's a natural source of CO2. Fantastic. I did, I did not know that. How did you get started with growing mushrooms? I'm assuming you started this just at home and then it eventually turned into a business. What was your basic setup when you first started growing and how does that compare to what you're doing now? Yeah, so I did start in my home, um, was in my basement. I started just kind of mixing mushroom substrate in buckets and then putting them in bags. I had like a little impulse sealer. Um, I would buy spawn from different companies and then I would just grow like a bag at a time. Then I kind of worked up to, you know, two or three bags and then that was more mushrooms really than I could eat or my family could eat. And so I started doing more and more, giving it to family, friends. And then that's when I had the idea to go to farmer's markets. And so I just had a little four by four kind of hydroponic grow tent style setup with some shelves inside, a little um, humidifier, had some fans for fresh air. And that's how I started growing. And then from there it took off. And then I had, you know, two grow tents and then I had um, (laughs) three grow tents. And then I just went up to like a 10 by 10 grow tent. And then eventually I outgrew my basement and I built a farm in a warehouse in North Kansas City. That's awesome. So essentially it was, I'm going to do this for my family. Oh, I really enjoy doing this. I want to keep doing it. And it just got out of control, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It got to be actually there was a a lot of work. You know, I was doing it in the evening. I had a full time job also. So it was like the evening, weekends, work. And I got to the point where, I mean, I enjoyed doing it more than anything else. And so I just took the risk to quit my job and to focus on mushrooms full time. The number of interviews that I have had lately where I speak to people who were in a corporate job or where they were in, you know, a job that they had been working for years and years and they started doing something sort of on the side and it became their absolute passion and it turned into what ended up being their full-time job. They got to transition from, you know, doing this, you know, to to really doing what they wanted to do as a passion full-time is astounding. I am loving hearing these stories of people being able to work in what they are truly passionate about. It's fantastic. Yeah, same. Um, I mean, I I feel lucky every day that I'm doing it. It, it went well. It's successful. Um, and then now, like, I'm creating jobs for other people who, you know, also love mushroom cultivation and just like-minded people around me. And it's great. Jake, how did you... How did you get into mushroom cultivation? Was this something that you were interested in before you came to work for MycoPlanet, or is it something that you got interested in and then kind of joined up? You know, I've never I was never a mushroom person before I worked here, so uh, I can't say I was too interested in it. But I did have a degree in environmental science, um, and I love the natural world and, and foraging. Um, so saw that Robin might need a somebody to work for, her and decided to see if I could jump in right after I graduated college. It was kind of uh, some good timing on that part. So Nice. So how does the setup now different from what was originally in your basement? You said you had, you know, sort of a four by four grow tent with some shelves in it. And now you're set up in a warehouse. Do you still utilize the grow tents within the warehouse or is it sort of a larger situation? We still utilize larger grow tents inside the warehouse. Um, so actually, next step for MycoPlanet is building more 
kind of permanent structures for our grow rooms, but right now we're still using our tents. Um, it's just the longevity of those just aren't there. They wear out, uh, but it is an inexpensive way to get started. Um, so yeah, everything is just kind of larger scale from what I had on the base in the basement, basically. So let's start. A, uh, let's talk about getting started. You know, you you said you started in your basement. I'm assuming that you didn't start with a grow tent. That you started with maybe just a small bag or a box or something. How how is it that somebody could decide that they want to get started? Should they start with a kit like what it is that you guys sell, or you, you know how did how did you do it? I'm, did you buy a kit or did you just you know start on your own? I did buy a kit. That's what got me started and kind of hooked. Um, I bought a couple different varieties of kits just so I could see the process, see how they grow, um, you know, if I liked it. And I did. I loved it. It, it went super fast. You know, it's like a two-week process, maybe, and you have fresh mushrooms ready to harvest. Um, so it was super fast. And then from there, I studied and kind of took the next step of doing everything myself and making the actual mushroom bag. So what does making a mushroom bag entail? So you need your substrate. So we use like a hardwood sawdust soy hull blend. So you have to uh, mix that to your 60% moisture content. You have to sterilize the substrate and then you have to inoculate with the mushroom spawn, seal it up and then let it incubate until it's ready to grow mushrooms. I mean, you know, in terms of gardening, though, a two week turnaround is is practically instant. You don't see those types of results for anything else in the in the garden. Even our fastest growing crop is a radish that might take 21 days. So that's pretty that's pretty impressive. It is. The downside, I, I think, is the shelf life of mushrooms. So even though you have that fast turnaround, you do have to kind of get it out the door and sold in a week or two or, you know, it goes bad. Yeah, how long typically can a mushroom be stored after it's been harvested off of its substrate? It's variety dependent, but it's usually between 10 and 14 days. Okay, well, that's not so bad though. What's the best way to store a mushroom once it's been harvested? In the fridge in a paper bag. Oh, in a paper bag? Mm-hmm. So if you see those mushrooms wrapped in plastic at the grocery store, that's not an ideal way to store a mushroom. It collects humidity, the moisture gets on the mushrooms, they start to rot and they get slimy. But I believe it's for sanitary purposes. They have to do that. Yeah, I noticed that when, you know, when I first started buying mushrooms in the store, I would bring them home and I would just leave them in that container and I wouldn't open them until I was ready to use them. And, you know, if I didn't get to them fast enough, it was like, oh, these are slimy. I don't think this is supposed to be like this, you know. So I, I got in the habit of opening them up immediately you know, but I wasn't sure what else to do if I should stick them out of the styrofoam or if I, so it's, it's good to know that you should, I should have been putting them in a paper bag. Okay. Yep. And the, some people even leave them like on the counter thinking they'll be okay like that, but um, they should go in the fridge in a paper bag is the best way. So if somebody was getting ready to, you know, try growing mushrooms on their own, um, what is the easiest mushroom for somebody to, to start with? I would start with some kind of oyster variety or the lion's mane. Why is that? Is it, did they just, they just germinate better? They, they're very quick in their growth. Like the mycelial growth is quick. Um, their fruiting growth is quick. They're more forgiving with environmental conditions. So if the temperature is not right or humidity, they'll still grow for somebody. And what are those growing conditions ideally? So when they're fruiting mushrooms, you want about 85% humidity um, and probably, you know, 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Most people at home don't have that kind of humidity in their house. Um, so that's why we, we supply a little spray bottle or you can use your own. Um, so instead of having a super humid entire house, you can just spray around the mushroom a couple of times a day. And that kind of simulates that humidity. So tell me how these how these kits work. You know, so you're putting the substrate into a plastic bag and you are inoculating it for the customer before you sell it to them. Is that correct? That is correct. So we inoculate it. We let it incubate until it's we call it ready to fruit. So it's all kind of ready to go. All they have to do is make a cut in the bag. It senses the air and then it grows mushrooms for them. Okay. That's interesting. So you're basically, it's like, okay, it's, it's ready to go. It's a little mushroom bomb ready to go off. As soon as you give it some air, it says, oh, hello. Exactly. It's like so, the air yep. is the trigger, the air, and then you spray it for humidity. That's the trigger. And it's like, oh, it's time to fruit mushrooms. And then it's, it's ready to go. So does that two-week mark start at the point when it receives the air? Or is that two-week production start when you actually inoculate the substrate? 
So for our grow kits, yeah, once they cut it open for about two weeks, they'll probably have ready-to-harvest mushrooms. Condition-dependent, right? If it's drier, sometimes it's slower. If it's colder, it goes slower. But yeah, two weeks, and they'll have ready-to-harvest mushrooms. Now, here at the farm, our process can take anywhere from three to four weeks for the whole entire um, cultivation process. So tell me how that how is that different from you know what you're doing with a with a grow bag? How does your production sort of differ from you know the the way that you're giving it to customers? So we would have the incubation period here at the farm, which is about two to four weeks. You're still using the same bags and the same um, the same setup as what you're selling. Yep, everything's the same. So it's the same bags that we grow here at the farm. It's just we send them out the door when they're ready, because if not, they might. You know, they might not grow. We want to ensure that they do grow for somebody. Yeah, sure. So how do you know that has taken? I guess I'm not sure what the correct word would be, but it's, you know, that it's, that it's ready to go. How do you, how can you tell? So everything is dated. So we know when it was inoculated and you'll see the mycelium actually grow and colonize the bag. So it turns white as it, as it grows. So you can actually, it's a visual process. You can see it fully take over the substrate. Oh, that's neat. That's got to be fun to watch. Oh, it's very beautiful. So how often is it that a, uh, you call it, a, it's a spawn, right? How often is it that that does not, does not take, it does not develop the mycelium? Not often. Um, most of our problems come with contamination. So we're using sterilized substrate, so we're killing off kind of everything. So we want to give the mycelium the best chance to colonize the bag. And so if you don't have uh, sterile conditions, something could get in, you know, another mold or a bacteria, and it has this, you know, nicely sterilized substrate and it can take over versus the mycelium and so i mean that'll happen once in a while it's just part of the job it happens but that's why we have processes in place to hopefully keep any of that from happening but it happens every now and then interesting so you have a little fungi war going on in in the bag and whoever wins is is who gets to develop that's exactly right so there's things out there that will colonize faster than the mycelium um and so we just want to keep that out so do you still purchase Spawn from other companies or are you sort of creating your own at that at this point? How does that work? We are purchasing um, from other Spawn suppliers. We don't have the equipment or the setup here where we're at currently to make it ourselves. And how, what, does, what does that entail? How do you get Spawn from a mushroom in order to be able to create new, new mushrooms? So there are larger mushroom farms um, across the country that sell it to smaller farmers like myself. Um, and then so what they do, there's a couple different ways. Um, they take it's the grain, so they sterilize the grain, and then they inoculate it um, somehow with that mycelium. Um, there's liquid culture. There's auger plates. You could even take grain spawn and go more grain spawn, um, and then they let it incubate, colonize, and then they send it to us. See, all this stuff that I had no idea about mushrooms, mushroom production, anything. I love it. So your grow kits, they are available online. Do you ship as well? We do. Yeah, we can ship um, across the country. People can choose farm pickup. We do local delivery also. Okay. And you're also attending a bunch of local farmers markets um, as well. And I understand you have a storefront now? We do. Yeah, we're almost finished building it so people can come in right to the farm and pick up fresh mushrooms, grow kits. That's fantastic. So tell everybody um, where they can find you and when or what's the easiest way to get a hold of your stuff. Probably head over to our website, um, mycoplanetkc.com, and they can get a hold of us. They can email. um, They can call us. um, It'll have the address to our store. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well, myco.planet. Thank you for that. Yes, we're all about the social media here. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, you guys. I appreciate you coming on. I, this was super interesting for me. I learned a lot about, you know, just mushroom production in general. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing you guys out at the farmer's markets this year and, and get to sample some of your stuff. I love being able to have access to mushrooms you know, that are other than the two things that I now know are exactly the same in the grocery <laughs> store. Exactly, exactly. So, thanks, you guys, for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks so yeah, much. thank you. Thanks for having us. So there you have it, more experienced information about what it takes to grow mushrooms. I hope that these interviews helped you get a better idea of what it would take to go from start to finish and maybe give you an idea of where you would like to start on your mushroom growing journey. 
Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden or maybe that mushroom block, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Well, I'll show you real quick while I got you just for your reference so you have a site reference. So this is an agar plate with mycelium growing on it. And that's the little arms I talked about stretching out. So that's, and these are all of my agar plates right here with stuff growing on them. You can see. Oh, wow. They're all, they've all got mycelium. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. So this one is contaminated. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very obvious. Okay. That'll give you reference. Okay. So this, this is a um, flow hood. The air comes, it, comes in through the back and it comes out very, very low, just enough to barely blow a candle sideways. There's not like a huge rush. And I will do my transfers in front of this, in front of a totally clean air coming out. That is not how I pictured it would look. It's kind of like a giant air filter for a furnace. This will filter out 99.9999999% of everything in the air. So I run this for an hour before I start doing any work. And then I come out and I sanitize everything around this with alcohol. And I work right in front of the stream of air right here. That's going to be blowing fresh filtered air. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing. <laughs>